says is as follows. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 17th chapter. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending the sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. The Gospel of the Lord. So at first glance, the appointed readings for Pentecost 17c on our three-year cycle of lectionary readings may not exactly line up with our local um, uh, theme today, which is to be aware of cancer in our midst, people who have had it, who have it, uh, people we've lost to it, people who provide care for it. Uh, however, upon a little uh, more reflection, I think they're almost perfect for the day. So, uh, first let's just dig into the, to the lessons a little bit. Uh, uh, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to say it, is not exactly one of the prophets that most people are familiar with, uh, though he would be well worth reading if you have some annotations at the bottom. Um, Habakkuk wrote uh, during the kind of the slow motion train wreck excuse me, in Jewish history, which ran from about 612 to 587 B.C., so like a 25-year period during which Jerusalem was slowly surrounded, starved by opposing uh, 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 armies, uh, conquered, and many of its leading people ultimately deported to Babylon. In other words, it was 25 years of horror, disaster, and famine, and chapter 1 in Habakkuk reflects that as the prophet cries out against God, saying, when we need you the most, where are you? And then chapter 2 provides this transition. I'm going to stand on the wall and see what God actually says. And then, as is always the case with the prophets, the prophet becomes the mouthpiece for God. And, and God's beginning response is, I'm going to tell you. And it's going to be so clear that it'll be letters big enough that a passing runner could read it. Brief aside, our own youth group director, uh, Matt Griepentrog, as we sit here, is running in the Lakefront Marathon right now. Channel a little energy to him, especially like maybe around 10.30 when he's hitting some sort of wall or something like that. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Uh, anyhow, uh, the Lord's going to write it in letters so large a passing runner can read it. And in a way, that is a pretty accurate description because the first answer that the Lord gives in this situation is not to address the, the, the cosmic or local conditions, but to talk about where anyone is in life as they, as they struggle with who they are. And the first response is the proud, a word which more likely means self-absorbed, the proud they have something that's wrong with their hearts. But the righteous, which doesn't mean holy, it just means you're maybe just a little bit on the right path. The righteous, they live by faith. We'll come back to that. 
Uh, think of today's gospel lesson. Just six verses long. There's a lot of stuff there. So in the children's message, we discussed the, uh, the role of the mustard seed in the story. We should also discuss the role of the mulberry tree in the story. How many of you would recognize a mulberry tree if it hit you in the face? <laughs> yeah, yeah. somebody who works in the field, maybe that's a good possibility. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure from what I've read about it that if it hit you in the face, it would hurt, because I think it's a little like hawthorns. It has some spikes with it. But most relevant to the parable that Jesus is telling is that it has this extended and also crisscrossing root structure. In other words, it would have been the hardest of trees to uproot. And so Jesus is saying, if you had this much faith, you could uproot the hardest of uprooting trees just by saying it and you could throw it in the ocean. Of course it's a parable. Of course Jesus is using exaggeration, but he is trying to make a point. But keep going as we go through the rest of the story. Then Jesus, the next part, uh, Jesus, the first part of what he says next presupposes that we the listeners are our slave masters, and, and then the very, very last verse presupposes that we are slaves. Now, that would cause pretty much anybody to, to ask of Jesus and Luke, because with that, why is he telling stories about slavery? And he does that a lot. In fact, why didn't he just end slavery? Why didn't he get rid of the Romans who crushed the Jewish people? And for that matter, why didn't he get rid of cancer? And you know that that takes a lifetime to answer and is, it shouldn't be answered in, in one morning sermon. But to even get a handle on it, one must always put these things within their larger context. And so all you got to do is go back to last week's gospel to get a little context. Last week's gospel was uh, the parable of the rich man and, and Lazarus, where this rich man ends up in, in Hades uh, because he's totally ignored the poor man Lazarus his whole lifetime. And then he begs to Father Abraham up in heaven to at least send Lazarus to his five brothers so that they don't end up in the same place he's ended up. And, and who recalls what Abraham's answer to that is? Abraham says back, uh, we're not like in the miracle business here. They've got Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. In other words, part of the context that Scripture sets for us is that if you compare God to a parent, then ours is not a helicopter or snowplowing sort of parent. Ours is a parent who gives us the tools so that we can do much of life for ourselves. And in the case of the rich man and Lazarus, the, the prophets and Moses spelled out very clearly that one cannot ignore a poor person like Lazarus and have it, no impact, have, it have no impact on your soul. The rich man would be a perfect example of, of the proud who in his self-absorption loses connection to his neighbor. And of course, part of what makes us actually alive, spiritually if not physically, is that our best energy is directed towards God and towards neighbor. The last thing in today's gospel lesson that's, that's hard to hear, I think, at, at some level, is that very last thing where, where Jesus says to the disciples, you know, if you're, if you're truly a servant person, if you truly can walk in your neighbor's footsteps and maybe even occasionally be there for them, do it. But don't expect to be thanked for it. 
That's always part of our orientation here for our, our mission of healing trip to, to El Salvador in February. It's always part of the training for all the people who, who volunteer at a place like the Bread of Healing Clinic in Milwaukee. Don't expect to be thanked. And it's not like people don't get thanked in those places. In fact, I think people get thanked an amazing amount, uh, more so for those who are professionals in the field, uh, more than they tend to get thanked in their, their, in their own practices. But sometimes you don't get thanked. And when you think about it, um, sometimes there are good reasons for not being thanked. Sometimes uh, somebody is so afraid, so distraught, so whatever, that, that they don't have words to say thank you. And sometimes people don't say thank you for bad reasons. Nobody ever taught them, they're not going to learn. <laughs> or, or they're just so mad at everything that whatever you've done for them is irrelevant in comparison to whatever it is that they're furious about. But you know why Jesus says it, which is you can't control where somebody else is at. You can only... You can only be who you feel called to be. And so to be there for somebody else is an act of sacrifice at some level. Don't try and control their reaction to it. You'll, you'll always at some level be disappointed or incomplete with that. You can just control your own thing. Don't expect to be thanked. Wise words for any of us. Now I think all of that and by now I think you're starting to recognize it yourself, all of that has a lot to do, actually, with cancer. Habakkuk chapter 1, who, if they have received a diagnosis or a loved one has received a diagnosis of cancer, has not at some point at least thought, where are you, God, when I need you the most? It seems as if you are absent. And sadly, with today's gospel lesson, uh, perhaps you're aware of this, but I sure am as a pastor how often that parable, if you had just faith like a seed of mustard, how often, unfortunately, that's been used against people who in the midst of their illness uh, are kind of judged and said, man, if you had more faith, if you prayed more, if you were a better person, you wouldn't be in this situation. That's like an almost unimaginably cruel thing to say to someone. Though you might say, well, that's true to the parable, but it's not true to the parable. I mean... The parable Jesus tells to his disciples who are kind of traveling a steady road and Jesus knows there are some hills and valleys ahead of them and so he has to get them in a better place than the place they're in. And, and so he does challenge them a little bit. But to someone who has just had their world turned upside down, challenge is never the word that Jesus brings. And instead in the Gospels, time and again when he's surrounded by the crowds and their many needs, what do the Gospels always say to him? He looked at the crowds with compassion. And this is Jesus who says, if you're carrying heavy burdens, I'll help you to carry them. But it's more than just little things like that. If I were to somehow even hazard trying to make sense of something so difficult to deal with in our lives, I would say a little part of it would be to recognize that faith allows us to be prepared, though never ready. No one can be ready when somebody tells you you have cancer, when your loved one has cancer. And I know some of you know that really, really well. Nobody can be ready for that. No one should expect to be. But maybe there are parts of, of who we are um, as human beings, and especially as people of faith, that, that 
that allow us as we walk through life to prepare. And, and what you're preparing for is not just life's lows. Uh, equally dangerous are life's highs, because life's highs, are, I, I think, are almost more likely to make our, our hearts sick. Because great successes and achievements and possessions have a tendency to make our hearts sick, as do great fears and challenges and losses. How does one prepare for that? Your presence suggests you're on the path. You won't make it alone. You you just won't. And so you're part of a community. You know some names. You can't be a part of a community if you have no relationships. You, you occasionally give a part of yourself. Because for sure, that's, that's a circle. And therefore, there will be times when you desperately need to receive and perhaps don't even know it. Sometimes your receiving is made possible because you, you, you gave first. And you are aware, I think, that you you are part of this history and tradition which makes us better together than we could have been by ourselves, even with a group like this gathered together. I just always think of the the great stories of Scripture in in their complexity, which also means their honesty. And so... What we did on the second night of confirmation with our first-year confirmation students this past Wednesday, uh, we laid on them a really hard story. It's the story of Jacob, who's this immoral, questionable person, who, even for him, hits rock bottom. And in the midst of that, wrestles beside a river with, the story doesn't say, maybe God, maybe his conscience, maybe himself. And he is wounded in the wrestling, and he is changed in the wrestling. And out of the wrestling, surprisingly almost, comes this reconciliation with his brother, with whom he had been separated all of his life. For anyone who's wrestled, for anyone who has has been hurt in the process, for anyone who has been changed because of it, that, that story is very close to home. I think of the story that the couple that got married here yesterday, Julian Sorensen and Amanda Bergman, picked for their wedding, and it's the story of Ruth. And so here's the story of Naomi and Ruth, and they both lose their husbands. They both die. And, and, and Ruth uh, and Naomi, she would have just played it out at that point and given up on life. Um, all she can see is bitterness. And, and then out of that, this Ruth arises, and, and she somehow says to Naomi, your place, my place, your people, my people, your God, my God. I mean, where, where does someone find the, the courage and strength to say that in the midst of such grievous loss? But it's not just scripture. I mean, I don't, won't name the names, but I, you would know who I'm talking about. How do you understand the person in this congregation who was, who was dying of cancer and had always been one of our readers? And so one of the, the last things he wanted to do was read the readings one more time. And so we recorded them so that he could still read them here in worship. How do you account for the person who stood here two weeks ago and made the announcement that, that 
that she found out she had cancer when she lost a pregnancy. And in the midst of all of the blood transfusions she got, to go from fear to, to, think, to, to thinking in gratitude of each person who gave her that unit of blood, where does that come from? See, if left to ourselves, we have nothing that inspires us and nothing that gives us hope and nothing on which we will be able to draw any strength. And even with a community praying for us and even with a God who does not leave us, it does not mean that the highs will not be dangerous and that the lows will be so very, very difficult. Like I said, you can't do it in a sermon. But it is a lifetime's work, right? Faith. It's a gift from God. It allows us, perhaps, to prepare, though one can never be ready. More important than that is just to spend a little time in prayer. To pray that if there is this heart within you that hurts, that it might be opened to God and to neighbor. In other words, that you could be alive.